Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Um, I'll be reading our passage for tonight. Um, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. One body with many members. For just as the one body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It is as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Um, well, I'm glad to be back. It's good to be back. Welcome back to spring break. Just a few more weeks uh, in our series on union with Christ. And tonight we're going to talk about um, the church, which is a really important topic. And I think oftentimes there's a tendency, if you grew up around the church, or if you grew up a Christian or even became a Christian later, we have a tendency to understand like, you know, maybe salvation on the one hand or a relationship with Jesus on the one hand, and then there's this kind of church on the other hand. And how do the two interact? What's the relationship between the two? And so I guess I have two hopes for tonight. And one would be uh, if, if you are a Christian, uh, I hope that you leave this large group tonight even more persuaded by the centrality of the church and its role in the normal Christian life. Um, because without the church, we're in bad shape. Uh, and then two, if you do not consider yourself a Christian and perhaps you're still exploring Christianity and the claims of Jesus, my hope tonight is that you would get a taste of the beauty of the church um, as a home for true human flourishing. That you would taste some of the beauty of the church as a home for true human flourishing. So uh, I don't think we have anyone new on here tonight, but in case I'm overlooking anybody, we're in this series about union with Christ, and it's been somewhat of a sermon series, somewhat of a lecture series, quite honestly. And um, as I've mentioned in a lot of the previous Zoom calls we've had, especially on Zoom, this is just a primer, right? We, we're just scraping the surface. There are so many questions that will come up and so what that means, as I've been saying every week, is you should come to Co-Ed Small Group on Friday morning. 
because it's awesome. I think the last Friday we met before spring break, they were like, there's a squad there, 10 to 15 folks. It was great. So come out for that this Friday morning, 8 o'clock, early in the morning. I'll buy you coffee if it's your first time, or if you just ask me, I'll buy you coffee. Um, so let's dive in. I'm going to talk about two things really broadly, okay? One, first thing is why the church is not optional, okay? And when I say the church, there's such a thing as like the invisible, universal, past, present, future church, like I'm just a believer in Jesus. That's true. That's a real thing. I'm also talking about uh, what I'm mainly focusing on tonight is the visible church, which is like these little local manifestations, bodies people gathered together on Sunday morning worshiping. Uh, So the first thing we're talking about is, one, the local church is not optional. Uh, And two, why we need it, why we need the church. So why it's not optional and why we need it. Uh, So first, why is the church not optional? Just out of curiosity, and be honest here, okay? You're not going to get in trouble. Uh, How would you answer this question? Do you have to go to church in order to be a Christian? Yes or no? Just a show of hands. Show of hands, if you're a yes, you have to go to church to be a Christian, raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Morgan. Zamiria, Ben. Okay. You guys win. Everybody else loses. Uh, all right, now if you're a no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, raise your hand. My boss raised his hand. All right, I'm about to push back against Pat. Here we go. Let me make sure I'm recording, actually. I think I am. Yeah, I am. Um, okay, so I, I appreciate everybody's honesty. Uh, I think most of us, uh, as we just did, would say no. You can be a Christian and not go to church. Okay, now, there is a sense in which, sense in which, that is kind of true. There's a sense in which that is kind of true, but I'm not going to talk about that tonight. You need to join me on Friday morning if you want to hear more about in what sense is which that true. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Tonight, I just want to be bold on the front end and say that's wrong. That view that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian That's the view tonight that I I hope will begin to break into a bunch of tiny little pieces. So let me just add one clarification here at the beginning. Going to church does not save you. Okay, so if you are a Christian on this call, don't think that if you miss church this Sunday, you have lost your salvation or you are not saved. If you are not a Christian and you're on this call and you're thinking about it, but you're not yet curious about going to church, you don't want to go there yet. Don't think the moment that you walk into the doors, all of a sudden you uh, are a Christian. Going to church does not save you. Jesus saves you. But when Jesus saves you, you go to church. Okay, when Jesus saves you, you go to church. So let's unpack that. That's what we're going to unpack tonight. Why is that true? Why do I think that's true? Why do I think the Bible actually speaks in that way? Why is the church not optional? I think that many of us think um, that the church is at best 
this really important but optional kind of addendum to the Christian life. Like if I had time, I would love to go to church. If I had the time, I would love to go to church. But my startup is so important. Uh, My school is so important. My family life is so hectic with tiny kids. And Sunday is my only sleep-in day. But I love my Godcasts. Right, so I've got Jesus in my AirPods. I still get my Jesus on. Like, it'd be great if we could go, but I ain't got time because last night I was at Kipps getting my, like, groove on, but I still got Jesus. I still have Jesus, right? Because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, if, if that is you, and just for clarification, that was me, and it still sometimes is me, truth be told, uh, Let me just gently say that you are wrong, and I am wrong. The church is not optional, and Jesus doesn't just hang out with you and your Godcasts, your little inspirational messages that you listen to whenever you want to, right? That's that's not where Jesus really uh, meets us. And so here's the point, or at least that's the main point I'm trying to say tonight, but the point I want you to hear uh, is this. This is why, okay, and I hope this is not too complex, and hopefully I'll unpack it as we go, but this is why. The proclamation of the gospel is the proclamation of the church. The message of the gospel, me sharing the gospel the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that proclamation, right, is the proclamation of the church too. It's not just a message to the church, to people that want to be Christians. That message, that proclamation is of the church. Here's another way to put it. Part of the good news of the gospel is the good news of the church. Part of the good news of the gospel is the good news of the church. So what do I mean by that? Most of us think that the gospel is that good news about Jesus and what he's done for us. And what we usually mean by that is that he's forgiven our sins. And right, that is true. Jesus has forgiven our sins through his life, death, and resurrection, but there's more to what Jesus did for us or more to what that accomplished. The gospel proclaims forgiveness found in Jesus, but the gospel also proclaims a home found in Jesus. And that home is the church, his body. The gospel proclaims forgiveness found in Jesus, and the gospel also proclaims a home found in Jesus. You know, one of the things I've mentioned throughout this series is if we think about our existential longings, kind of get in touch with like kind of our deepest desires and needs, what we long for, and then think about how does union with Christ attend to those needs? This is a home, right? When we think about our adoption um, as a benefit of our union with Christ, responding to our sense of alienation, of being orphans, like this responds to our homelessness. We have found a home in Jesus, and that home is his church. So, union with Christ 
is not just an invisible reality. It's not just an, right now, it is not just an invisible reality where we wait for the future for it to become visible when we see Jesus face to face. Union with Christ has a visible reality right now, which is you making your home in the house of God, being united to his church, united to his body. That's part of the gospel good news, that you now have a home. Anything that's worth doing, um, you have to become basically a member of a community to do it. You know, you can't get your Berkeley degree by basically deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a Berkeley grad. And if I listen to some podcasts about Berkeley, that's just as good as being a Berkeley grad. You got to matriculate. You got to go to school. You got to go to class. You got to graduate. That's how you become a Berkeley student. When you become a Christian, you make your home in the house of God. So when I said, as I often have throughout this series, that the reason why a series on union with Christ is so important is because union with Christ is the gospel. Union with Christ is the gospel. And so if, if we're understanding this properly, you could also say, among other things, one thing that means is that the church is the gospel. The church is not an addendum to the good news of the gospel. The church is part of that good news. It's the home. It's your home. And that's because the church is our visible union with Christ, purchased and secured by Christ. So just to give you one example, this is kind of everywhere in the Bible. In the book of Revelations, the last book of the Bible, um, you see this point that I'm trying to make. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. Listen, listen to this, what, what's being um, written here by uh, John, the author. Uh, to him, Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me read it one more time. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, forgiveness, right? And made us a kingdom of priests, church. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. That is everywhere in the Bible. And now, you know, I, I've heard this from you guys when you're reading your Bibles now that we're getting in this union of Christ language, you can't help but see it everywhere. In Christ, in him, with Christ. Like, it's everywhere in the Bible. And then now you're going to see this as you read your Bible. You'll notice that any relationship with Jesus is always being talked about in the context of being a part of his body, a part of his church. Because that's what union with Christ means in the visible sense. You are united to his church. You made your home in his house. So let me give you an illustration. Maybe this will help. Uh, being united to Christ, being united to Jesus, and not part of his church is like being married and living in two separate houses. Being united to Jesus and not being a part of his church is, is like being married and living in two separate houses. So if I told you, all of you know Holly, my wife, if I told you that Holly was my wife 
And then I said that she, uh, she actually lives back in Philadelphia. I live here, but she lives in Philadelphia. Uh, you go to Berkeley, so you're woke, woke, and you would try to be like, oh, that's so, you know, that's so empowering and career forward of you. Um, but, but deep down, you would be like, nah, that's weird. And that can't be healthy. Like, no, you know, of course, there are like ex- exceptional circumstances, but like no good marriage do the husband and wife live in two separate houses. Okay, they live together. They make their home with each other. Um, so here's the point. You don't earn your marriage by living in the same house. You don't earn your marriage by living in the same house. You live in the same house because you're married and you love each other. You live in the same house because you're married and you love each other. And so you don't go to church to earn Jesus. You go to church because Jesus loves you. And as a Christian, you now know that love. And so you love him. And so now you make your home in his house. That's what happens when you fall in love with somebody. You want to move in together. Same's true with Jesus, all right? So let me just turn to our passage that we read tonight before we totally forget about it. Um, I want you to look at uh, verses 18 through 19. Let me read it to us really quick. It's kind of right in the middle of the passage. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? I want you to listen to that last verse again. If, if all were a single member, where would the body be? What's Paul's point? What's he trying to say? Church is not an option. The body is essential because the church is the gospel. That's Paul's point, and that's my first point. I want you to see that your involvement in the local church is paramount to your spiritual health. It is your home. And yes, families drive each other crazy, and they fight, and they do some really terrible things sometimes. But Jesus has promised to be there. Jesus is there, and without the church, we are homeless. That's the home where, where our faith is nurtured, and without that home, we are homeless. Um, it was either uh, Augustine or Cyprian. Uh, I've seen both given credit for this quote. Some of you may know who actually said it. Uh, But one of them said this, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. You cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. We need the church. That's my point. That's my point. And I want to end um, on this next point. I want to end by, by us just going through a few examples uh, that Paul gives us here of, of why we need the church, like really practical reasons that, that resonate deeply with our cultural moment and our hearts in this particular period of time. Super practical reasons. So um, 
the first, you know, the church is not optional. Well, why do we need the church? So it's not optional. Why do we actually need it? What's something practical that resonates with all the longings that we're seeing going on uh, in this cultural moment? The first thing I want to point out is that the church is the witness to the unity and diversity that we were meant for. The church is the witness to the unity and diversity that we were meant for, of how the world ought to be and how the world world will be when Jesus comes again. Let's look at verses 12 through 14 there at the beginning. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So the church simultaneously recognizes the uniqueness of all of all the image bearingness that that every human being has our ethnicities our personalities our struggles our success our age our health i mean the list goes on and on and on it simultaneously recognizes that and it recognizes our unity It recognizes our diversity and our unity as one body united to Jesus. The church, right, the gospel, the church as part of the gospel message gathers all people under one person, and that person is Jesus. So through our union with him, he unites us to his world. So you see there, again, union with Christ. Like, what is the thing that we're dealing with right now? We just had a conversation with some students about what went on in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago and the hate crimes towards Asians. And I was on a run this morning, and there's an Asian restaurant across the street from Phil's, and somebody threw a rock through the window of it, and there were police there. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to connect too many dots, but I'm, I'm certain, yeah, bad, right, bad. All this is going on in the world, and like the central message of the gospel is that like Jesus did for the, this for you. Like yes, He forgives you of, of your sins through His life, death, and re- resurrection. He adopts you into His family. You become a child of God. He sanctifies you by His Spirit, and then He creates a home for you in His church. And He gathers all people who look a bunch of different ways into one place. And He doesn't erase their uniqueness, but He He unites them under one common bond and theme, and that's their knowledge of Jesus' love for them. That's a powerful antidote to the problems that are going on in the world right now. So now, as you you know, the church is not always good at this, right? Because it's made up of sinners. So we, as practitioners of the church, mess this up all the time. But God and his word and his perfect, uh, spotless word, like, this is true, and, and even though the church is messy now, like it, this will come about. Like Jesus' purposes will, will be accomplished. And so that doesn't mean that Jesus' vision for the church isn't true and won't come to pass just because we mess it up at times. So think of this in our own cultural moment. The church ought to be, uh, as, as a home, right? The church ought to be the first place that racism is confessed 
because we're all sinful. The church ought to be the first place that racism is confessed. And the church ought to be the last place where racism is welcome. So you can, you can confess sins like that in a church, in a place that's your home. You can't confess stuff like that on um, Twitter or on Facebook or in a university because it's not a home. But in the church, that's your home. So you can, you can be honest about who you are. You can confess it and shine light in the darkness. And then also as a home where, where Jesus is Lord and where he rules and where he's the shepherd, like he, he pushes away all demonic forces. Like he tends to the sheep. So racism isn't welcome. It's the last place where it's welcome. Racism is literally counter to the church. The church is the antithesis of racism. It is the home of all tribes and tongues and peoples. And it, the church, listen to this, as the bride of Christ is interracially wed to its savior, Jesus. Okay, the gospel has a lot to say to our cultural moment. That's the first thing. Second thing, and more broadly, the church is the place where God designed love-oriented equality reigns. Okay, the church is the place where God designed love-oriented equality reigns. So look at verses 21 through 23. Let me just make sure I'm in the right spot. Okay, 21 through 23. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. So we live in a world that, despite our best efforts, despite our best efforts, privilege, uh, uh, we live in a world that still privileges the able. It privileges the able. It privileges certain sexes. It privileges certain colors. It privileges certain pedigrees and backgrounds and beauty and networks and education and so on. But not so in the church. That's what Paul's saying here. In the church, the eye needs the hand. The ear needs the nose. The pinky toe, here it comes, the pinky toe needs the nipples. Sorry, that's weird. I just had to say it because we needed to laugh, right? That's all part of the body, right? You can't say to any part of the other body that it's not needed. And so not only do we all need each other, we bestow honor to each other. Think, like this equality language. We bestow honor to each other, even to the weakest among us. And so here's the beautiful thing. Like, you know, think of Jesus' words, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Do you know who the weakest people are? When Paul's talking about the weak people, the weak body parts, do you know who those people are? Sinners. Sinners. People who screw up a lot. People like me. People who screw up a lot. People who know their need of grace. And it's this church, it's in this home where sinners are given the greatest honor. The weakest people are given the greatest honor. That's why you need the church. Because 
Friends, like, no matter who you are or what you've done or what you will do, you can take your shame and your guilt and you can give it to Jesus. You can take it to the church. You can take it home. And he bestows upon you his love. He bestows upon you his honor, his embrace, and he gives you a home. So you see this as a Christian ethic. This is no mere tolerance. This is love. This is not just tolerating people. This is loving people. That's what the church is for. Lastly, the third thing I'll say is the church is the family that supports you. The church is the family that supports you. I'm going to look at verse 26, read this really quickly. If one member suffers, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Some of you come from great families. I know some of your families. And you look at where you're at right now, and it is undeniable to you that you would not be here if it weren't for your family. You know the necessity and the power and the beauty of a loving home and supportive families. You know what, like, what the power of a good family can do. Others of you, that you come from broken homes. It may have been emotionally toxic. You may have been poor. Your parents may have been divorced. It may have been an abusive home. Your parents may have been absent, may have been negligent. And you know the pain. You know the pain of a broken family. And like me, you probably struggle with resentment over your broken family because you know what you missed and you know what you needed and you know what you still need and it wasn't given to you. So whether you come from a good family or a broken family, you both know the power of a family and what it can do. And the church is the family that cares for you and supports you in sickness and health quite literally in many cases. I mean, <clears throat> if you're broke and you need paying rent, you need help paying rent, you need help paying a medical bill, this has happened at Resurrection Oakland. A good church is there to help you. There is funds for that. If you're alone, if you're lonely, if you need a friend, a good church gets you plugged in. It gets you into community. It throws great parties if you're a narcissist, like every millennial and every Gen Zer is, I've grouped myself into you guys. We're all narcissists and self-centered. That's why we all spend more time on Instagram than we do telling people we love them. Um, if you're a narcissist and you're self-centered, that's fine. A good church will put you to work and will show you the life-giving love of dying to yourself in service to others. You will die a thousand little deaths from the boring work of stacking chairs that nobody sees or nobody notices. Sweeping floors that nobody sees and nobody notices. Cleaning up after a meal after everybody's gone and nobody notices. Working in the back of the church on the AV team so that the pastor sounds nice when he's talking. You name it. Plenty of nice, invisible jobs to do so that your heart swells with beautiful love for God's world and his people because you're dying to yourself and you're giving, it, you're giving your life to others. 
And here's a really great one, guys. If you're doubting, if you are like on the verge of leaving this thing, the church is for you. If you're struggling to believe the gospel, a good church will nurture you in your doubt. It will give you space to question. And even more importantly, it will carry you on. A good church will carry you on as you see them love and serve you. And as you see and you hear them on Sunday mornings confess the faith, as you hear them confess their sins, as you hear them sing the gospel, as you see them take communion, as you see them baptize their babies, as you see the church baptize new believers, the church can believe for you when belief seems far away. That's the power of a body. That's the power of being united to Jesus in his church. It is not just a me and Jesus thing. It's a we and Jesus thing. That's, that's the real mark of Christian growth, I think I would argue. If the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Christianity is we and Jesus, you're a people. God has rescued a people, not just a person, but a people, and he's given them a place, the church. That's the beauty of the church. That's why the church is essential, and that is why the church is the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we ask for your blessing this evening, and we pray that by your spirit, the words that were spoken tonight, whatever is true and beautiful and good, that you would plant those seeds into our hearts, and the harvest would be 10, 50, 100 fold in our lives. Would you meet us this night, no matter where we're at, and be our good shepherd? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.